Welcome to 1689 Saturday. Cardi Knox. Dude, what? are you What's still with us? I'm uh, still here, man. Man, yeah. you've been with us the whole week. It has been an honor and a privilege. Oh, man, it's so good. My um, my um, headphones that I'm wearing that have a microphone and are going to die at some point. So there'll be possibly some a second where um, I'll transition to my phone microphone. All right, good. Yeah, thanks. Just man. I'll just I'll hopefully use that it's when too. you're talking. Yeah, I'll use that to go into soliloquy mode. <laughs> yeah, I'll just yeah. model along my way through that. Um, hey, so uh, sixteen and I Saturday. This is um, basically. Uh, you've been uh, tracking with us uh, on some of the shows, and we've just talked about subscription. Uh, I have scheduled a time to talk to Brandon Adams. Do you know who he is? Um, only from your podcast. Okay, cool. Um, have you ever read any of, of his stuff on the blog or whatever? You're a, I have not. Okay. I have not, no. All right, so you're not really a 1689 nerd then. Um, no, no, probably not. Right, um, but you go to a 1689 church. I, I do, and I do love it. Okay. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, then you, then you can stay. You can keep yeah, talking. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, I've, I've scheduled a time to talk to him. So that's coming up. And, that's great. Um, yeah. And we'll do a few podcasts and they'll be really good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know that we, and what we'll talk about, no doubt, is um, some of the 1689 federalism stuff. And, um, and we'll try and work that through. But I thought maybe, you know, just, uh, even before that, I know you and I have had a few discussions about it. You've you've walked through covenant theology uh, and worked through the 1689, just kind of trying to uh, figure these various things out. Um, and uh, obviously, we're at the same church, and uh, we try and be on the same page in terms of uh, you know the eldership and 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 just. Um, we want to make sure that we're uh, uh, working these things through as much as we can. So, uh, you know, I thought it'd be a good good opportunity for you, just uh, for people listening in. I mean, you know, I know the conversation with Brandon is going to be crazy nerdy, um, and <laughs> people might want to skip it because they might just dial out because it's like, who even cares anyway? It's going to be so granular. But, but you know, give me your run-in from, you know, your journey. This morning I was listening to you sort of give your your uh, your not testimony, but journey into Christianity and even uh, from, uh, you know, kind of a more generic evangelical, perhaps slightly entertaining of dispensationalism kind of track all the way into covenant theology and reformed theology. Talk us through, like, what you've appreciated about um, learning about covenant theology or about the, the 1689 in general and reformed theology in general coming from, from uh, your whole deal. Because you became a Christian when? You were like 19 or something. Uh, yeah, I was 18. 18. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's quite, you know, so you weren't a Christian kid kind of thing. And uh, no. and so you don't have that whole, like, your, your parents have drilled a certain theology down. You know, um, and so you, you sort of have to figure it out and piece it together as you go. What, what was the journey like for you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, no, that was that was definitely right. I didn't have a, there was a lot of baggage floating around when I was um, meeting a lot of young Christians at university. Um, 
I guess from yeah from their parents from their churches and and a, and a um, sort of unwillingness to sort of uh, challenge some of those preconceptions. But yeah. I didn't really have that. Um, I did, but that doesn't mean that I did get straight into Reformed theology or anything. I did get into sort of just mainstream evangelical Arminian. Um, loosely dispensational sort of stuff. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. The church I was going to was a brethren foundational sort of church, but it sort of evolved into this, what was called by a friend of mine, brother costal um, Uh (laughs) sort of of church. um, It had gone a lot more charismatic and sort of walked away from like talking really explicitly about theological Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, But it was still dispensational in that it was like a premillennial pre-tribulation rapture sort of church. Yeah. Um, um, But during, I I can't quite remember, but during that time there, um, me and some friends of mine, Ryan, um, who you had on the podcast recently, um, started to just ask a lot of questions about like, what does the Bible say? Like, what a what a um, what does it say about you know like um, election and what does mm. it say about um, salvation? Like, who who plays a part in it? Do mm-hmm. do we do anything in it? Like, what's going on there? Mm. Um, and then you know, um, the role of like, questions that Ryan were asking, like the role of. Um, spiritual gifts you know what are mm, what are these mm. again that's something that he had to deal with a lot more personally not so much me mm. but um these a lot of these questions just led us to sort of asking more advice from people that we knew and respected and mm-hmm. then that eventually led us to um GraceNet and reformed theology and then mm-hmm. naturally you just start diving into as many books you can get your hands on yeah um and sermons lots of um preachers john piper um Guys in the wider X Twenty Nine network, Matt Chandler, um, Driscoll, uh, Keller, um, these sorts of guys. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, and then again, once you sort of get settled down into those sort of um, networks, you start looking at even deeper stuff, and mm. and um, eventually, covenant theology starts coming up naturally, just because of you reading um, a lot of these reform dudes, it starts to come up, and yeah, um, that. That seeks to answer the question of like, what's the purpose of the Bible? What's the big picture? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and that was amazing, just answering that big question of how do all the different parts of the Bible join together? What's yeah. the what's the big story? Right. Um, Jesus is obviously the our hope and our savior and our um, our Lord, but you know, like, is he in the Old Testament? How do we mm-hmm. read the Old Testament as Christians? Yeah. Um, those are the sorts of questions that um, the 1689 and covenant theology and just a deeper look at reform theology answered for me. Yeah. 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 Did you, uh, what do you think now? Just, uh, you know, I know that you are, we're sort of uh, just filling your time with all sorts of reading and uh, discussion, yeah. training you for uh, eldership and stuff. But what, what have you found beneficial in having a confession during that process? Is there anything that comes to mind there? Yeah, for sure. Um, we were actually just talking about this this morning when we were doing um, some stuff at church. But okay. um, you said something that um, that I really liked, and it was about how um, well, this is one thing about a confession anyway. Confessions um, they actually create because a lot of people, a lot of people have the preconception, I guess, that um, being really strict with um, the doctrines you adhere to creates division. Yeah. Um, but it actually does the opposite. It actually creates unity, and yeah. that's within uh, within a local church. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the massive things I've 
like appreciated so much about having a confessional church is that you you sort of you develop like this inherent sort of trust in each other yeah. um, and, and the members of the church and um, I'm just going to take my microphone out okay all right yeah cool don't worry about it I can cut this out it's all good can you hear me all right yep good excellent excellent um so yeah it, it creates this um this this trust between the members you you sort of know you're on the same page and hmm. um and it yeah it does away with a lot of the um tension that can come from not being on the same page or having like really quite divergent views on big topics and mm, things like that. So mm. I find that having a confession actually protects the church and yeah. makes it healthier. Very, very pastoral point that, I mean, oh, it's, I think it's an important point at so many levels, but yeah, I mean, we were talking about that this morning in our uh, new members class, and and uh, yeah, I think I think you really, well, I, I coming into because um, we weren't always confessional and sort of been a journey towards that yeah. for us, and and uh, yeah, we were part of a kind of a very minimal confession sort of scenario. You'd have your five points, basic Orthodox Christianity, but you know, one of the things I came to realize very painfully was that everyone did have a full orb confession in their own brains that they. You know, may be completely incoherent with their own belief systems or whatever, but they've believed it. They've read their books, they've heard their sermons, they've they've pieced together things that they, for some or another reason, believe. And yet, you're never going to find out about it until it's too late or until it conflicts with something. And everyone will claim to just be unified on the basics, but it doesn't work like that. Um, and and so what what it ends up being is um, some sort of uh, you're, you're, you know, I remember the big, um, the big catchphrase was, "Hey, we're not doctrinal; we're relational." Yeah, and um, yeah. the idea there being, you know, we've got our basic doctrines, but it's relationship that binds us together. We don't, we don't want to be fighting theology all the time. But in reality, as no soon creed, as, but the Bible sort of thing. Yeah, exactly, mm-hmm. and and you know, that's all good when it's good, and when it's bad. It just goes to custard because yeah. uh, all of a sudden the, the relationship actually wasn't enough to carry a year. In fact, uh, it was kind of inevitable that the relationship at some point would stumble and go through difficulties. And um, and especially when in contest to doctrine, I mean, that's just not going to it's not going to handle the day. It's so much. I remember we joined the uh, Reformed Baptists and um, I remember just the profound sense of unity just because these guys, I knew what they believed, you know, and so you could have. Have, you could have a personality clash with every single one of the guys in the room coming from every all the different churches and be of a different sort of, you know, uh, kilt in terms of uh, uh, come from a different cloth in terms of your personality type or cultural stylistic issue. But it didn't matter. Just none of it actually ultimately mattered because we believed the same things and we knew what the other person believed and we knew where it was okay to disagree and where, and all of that just meant that, you know, all of that other stuff could just take its place and you can grow in relationship and have bad times and good times. And, and, uh, you know, maybe just go through cultural morphs and change your personality. None of that actually is going to affect the the end of it because you're bound together by this unified doctrine all the way through. And um, it's only when someone abandons that doctrinal um, stance that uh, any real conflict emerges. But even then, it can be dealt with well because it's already been so well artic- articulated. And so, and the you know, the... Um, 
the uh, entrance bar into that fellowship is, has already been so well stated for everyone and so clear. And so, yeah, like what we felt there, I think, um, yeah, I've definitely as well felt, felt that in, in terms of the church. I love the new members class because it gets, it's, a, it's a chance for people to grab that point and um, yeah. and uh, make sure that they like that point. And, and I think, you know, I don't ever want to get to the point where we're kind of boasting or, you know, thinking of, of hey, look how well we've done this or whatever. But honestly, it's, it's you know, it, it's swim, you feel like you're swimming upstream with that approach a lot of the time. And you, there's a lot of self-doubt, like no one else is doing it like that. No one's expecting people to grab hold of a confession. And, and yet, you know, as years go by, you see the fruit of it and and um it's undeniable you know i think the the health of the church prospers it's uh, kept safe it's there's a, uni- a unity that um much in the way i've just described applies to every individual member within that church there's just you know there's a space and a permission to go through different life phases and be you know have personality conflicts and and none mm. of that will take it's away this essential unity that we have yeah for sure and it, it- it's beautiful because it paint it um it creates like it creates churches that are in an already sense you know like um pictures of of um of the end when we're all when all the body of Christ will be united you know because it's it creates churches of really different people yeah um incredibly different personalities yes. cultures yeah which is like you were saying but they're all yeah like um just to cement it again like. Um, united in the most important things, but like different in pretty much everything else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> um, true. Yeah. Whereas, I guess churches who sort of veer away from confessional stuff tend to just draw really similar people, and then yeah. Yeah. Um, because you don't have that confessional and that bond your... of membership, maybe you, yeah. you, you know, if people get uncomfortable, they just leave. Yeah, um, it becomes your functional so just, confession. Yeah, yeah, it just creates a. It, I, I just love it. I love it so much. Um, I wouldn't. Um, I wouldn't go back now. It um, it just has so many benefits. Right. Um, having con- a, a confessional church, and it prevents from that. Um, you know what? Um, I think you mentioned this to Nick a couple of days ago as well. That chronological snobbery of yes. like, um, of like denigrating the past and um, yes. and thinking. Because I remember at the street once, I was I was saying because I was out in the street and I was um coming along to Thursday Theologies that you were running, um, just doing 1689 sort of summary topics. Mm-hmm. And um, and I remember mentioning it to someone there, oh, I was like, going to this Bible study that's talking about, uh, that's using the 1689. And they were like, what's that? And I was like, um, oh, no, sorry, no. They said, oh, is that that really old book? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. I, I know that always stuck with me because I was like, the way they said it was very like almost scathing. Like, yeah. why would you read such an old book? Um, oh man! Yeah, and that just sort of stuck with me. Of like, you know, like there's so much value in old stuff. There's way more value in old stuff than a lot of new stuff. And, oh, totally. Yeah. Um, but people don't think that. No. Um, it's sort of you know, I guess. Um, the dominant sort of in the culture is, I guess, that like the past is boring and like mm. backwards, and the mm. future is where things are at. You know, mm-hmm. so like. People tend to just value like creating your own things up rather than looking at what people have already done. Yeah, totally. Um, and I think they're missing out massively. Oh, so. Big time. Yeah, uh, someone actually told me 
you know, a similar sort of scathing, well, it was intended to be a scathing rebuke. Like, how can you do that? How can you spend all your time with that? You're going back into the dark ages, they said to me. And I was yeah. just like, oh, boy, the irony in that comment is just uh, unbearable, you know? <laughs> I just, you know what I mean? Like, no, actually, um, I'm kind of coming out of the dark ages, you know, by going to reform theology. And uh, the, the, the person that um, made that comment was uh, going in every sense back to the superstitions uh, of of prior to the Reformation, you know, uh, abandoning good doctrine and gospel centered theology. So yeah, it's just um, yeah, unfortunately that is the 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 landscape in which we live. But even just with uh, maybe to close out, I mean, you've got obviously I can feel like some kickback on this would be okay. That's fine for you guys in your own little like Reformed yep. Baptist club. But what about like someone who even just disagrees on baptism? And you know, what about them? And how, where's the unity there? And, um, you know, you see that that point and and you see why people then have tried to dumb down or minimalize the confessions or at least just have smaller ones that don't, you know, articulate everything so that there could be this kind of unity uh, between those who would disagree at those levels. But uh, what we're saying is essentially we'd prefer to see what happened at the Reformation or even post-Reformation when, um, you know, the, the Puritan congregations would would, um, with tears in their eyes, separate as churches uh, with their own confessions, um, knowing that Christ is Lord of the conscience. And, you know, at the end of the day, once they've worked it through and done due diligence to the subject, we might well be in disagreement, but we would still prefer to see everyone articulate that and confess it and believe it and be clear about it and be upfront about it than then uh becoming cavalier or dismissive and just pretending it doesn't exist and and uh i love the expression that was used this morning um you know creating some sort of elephant in the room theology where where you know it's there but it's not there and um And so, you know, we it would be better for uh, churches to assemble in different congregations, understanding that they love each other in the Lord and that they're in every way united, but in, as so far as to allow for uh, their, their consciences to be, um, you know, to be, to be able to worship in good conscience, they, they, they need to form different congregations that are not different Christianities. We're still in the same body, but yet yes. we know that we stand and fall before our own master and um, the Christ died so that our liberty of conscience can be kept intact. And so, you know, even in that, it reminds me a little bit of, of the uh, religious tolerance thing in that, uh, or, or just a freedom of speech idea in that we would, um, you know, as certainly as a Baptist tradition, we would, um, we might not, we might not agree with what people say against us, but we would really die for their right to be able to say it. Yeah, and, um, yeah, and, and it would be better to be able to have that than a world without it, um, because that is not, you know, you, you're moving off course with that. Same thing with the denomination thing. Um, we would prefer to see each congregation totally sold on its own position, articulated in these confessions upfront and clear, uh, than in any way trying to just kind of, you know, merge it all, pretend it's not happening. And uh, that's a better form of unity, you know? Yeah, definitely. I love, I love that. I mean, just to bring this sort of full circle, but yeah. um, better Islam for a second. Uh-huh. Um, one, of the, one of the things that I, um, again, from a lot of those Muslim students, one of the arguments they leveled against Christianity was that it's so divided. Yeah. Um, and they would say, you know, a strength of Islam is that it's so united. And, of course, they're talking about Sunni Islam, yeah. um, which is the majority. But, yeah. but um, 
you know, that they, they would go look at like, what are you? And I'm like, well, I'm a Christian. And they're like, but what are you? And I was like, I'm a Baptist. And they're like, yeah, but like there are so many more, right? Um, yeah. And it's funny because I've always, well, I guess since I've become reformed, I've sort of come to what you were saying. And I've always seen denominations as a, as an actual grace rather than like a, um, you know, people treat them like they're sort of like a result of the fall almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but they truly, they truly are gracious. Yeah. And um, that, that God, you know, you know, people follow their, their own consciences, consciences yeah. and they follow their own theological convictions mm. and God's orchestrated it so that they have the freedom to exercise those differences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is, which is amazing. It's so good because in, again, taking Islam as an example, you don't have that liberty. No, that's right. Um, you yeah. don't, you don't have that liberty to exercise any difference whatsoever. If you're a Shia um, Muslim, then you could be killed, you know? Um, totally. And obviously by like some sort of extremist Sunni, but um, <laughs> that cra- crazy, crazy yeah. differences. Like, yeah. And obviously, you know, like they actually, that did happen in the middle ages. Like <laughs> Catholics mm. were getting killed by Protestants and Protestants were yeah. getting killed by Catholics and, yeah. um, yeah. which is awful. Yeah. Um, and we sort of acknowledge that, but that's not like what we're going for at all. You yeah. Know? Yeah. That's right. Totally. And, you know, and it, yeah, it, it needs to be said in terms of like, yeah, people, I mean, look, in some ways, the denominational thing is as a result of, of a fallen reality. And, and we are, yes. yeah, we yeah. are not in perfect agreement because of our own sin and in, uh, the, our own imperfection and, and uh, inability to be able to see things as they are. But um, it's also true that, you know, like people level against denominations, this idea, hey, well, you know, the one follows uh, Apollos, the other one follows Paul, we shouldn't do mm-hmm. that. It's not at all what he was going for there. And, and um, certainly if we are claiming that our uh, we're boasting in our denomination um, in, in such a manner that that uh, makes it sound like, you know, everything we have is not given to us completely by grace alone. I mean, then, you know, we do fall into the crosshair of that rebuke. But yeah, denominations are good. You know, I'm, I, they're in a fallen world, in a uh, the reality of, of, of things as they are, they are the way it should be. The, the, I don't think Jesus ever had in his mind the intention of setting up a pope with the Roman Catholic Church and everyone being united by force, you know, under this uh, apostolic succession. I think that whole thing has been thoroughly debunked by the reformers. And denominations are the true expression of unity in this world. And, um, and they're united precisely because they all agree that they're all part of the the, the greater body of Christ with differences. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously there are some exceptions in terms of when denominations go liberal and turn into cults and all sorts of things. But at that point, they clearly depart from the faith um, and that, that becomes a different thing. But yeah, in terms of like just even uh, with, with one more point here, I mean, just being part of Acts 29, often you get to hang out with different denominations and what I love and what I treasure, I think, so much uh, is I've seen this. I've felt this. I know this is true. Theological, like things like the confession and theological development of ideas rather than dismissal of them or uh, ignorance of them leads to a greater unity, not a lesser unity. Even when you never yeah. end up agreeing, you appreciate why it is just coming to an understanding of why you don't agree and where you don't agree and exactly the point of departure from that agreement and and you often more often than not end up feeling okay well the agreement is the disagreement is actually smaller than i thought it was you know and 
And uh, I can, okay, maybe that boils down to semantics, but, you know, still disagreed. But it's like you, it increases the bonds of fellowship to articulate doctrine. It doesn't lead to a fracturing of unity. Um, fundamentalism was a, the idea that, that said, hey, let's, let's retreat from spelling out our doctrine so we can just all be unified around the fundamentals. And all they did was they created a new set of uh, of ideas and a smaller, dumber confession of faith, um, and, and it it didn't it didn't in any way do what they hoped it would do. It's only when you see churches develop their ideas and um, and be in dialogue and debate and you know express charity uh, that that these things uh, become. Uh, tools for greater unity, and uh, you know, it's it's honestly one of the things I love most. I mean, I love the diversity and unity piece. Uh, I love it when it's in operation well, and I love it when it, when we see it in things like Acts twenty nine, and their uh, you know unity around the gospel. But even just the various reformed expressions, you know, um, the reformed churches are all in some way different, and yet they are agreed uh, on their doctrine. And um, I it, it, I don't like it when um, when uh, some some reformed churches will use their reformed confessions against that unity, and th- I think there's a right rebuke there, um, mm-hmm. because that that's not the spirit in which we need to move this thing forward. Um, you can you can hold to your distinctions, but yeah, as soon as it starts being that whole, um, you know, hey, we're the only the only true body of Christ. That's always trouble, you know, and. Um, and so let's, you know, never use the confession that way, you know. You there? Definitely. Okay, sweet as. Thought, thought I lost you there for a second. No, no, no. I was just, um, like, transfixed by your, by your comment. Fair enough. Fair enough. It was pretty profound. It was profound. <laughs> You're yeah. only human, Cody. You know, what are you I am. Do? I am only human. <laughs> All right, man. You're having a baby soon? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Not you. Your wife. But um, you, <laughs> I'm a human. Ma- I'm human man. Yeah. <laughs> You're a you man. Um, yeah, cool. And um, and so, if anyone is listening to this, uh, throw a prayer out for Cody. He's about to. He's about to get into it with the baby thing. Yeah. Uh, and that's gonna be awesome, man. We we're looking forward to hearing all about that. Well, we might actually. Might talk on this show before that happens. Hey, when is the due date again? You tell me all the time. I keep forgetting. Uh, mid mid April. Yeah. Mid April. Oh. Okay. We might not talk on this before. No, you know, no. We'll see. We'll see what happens. It's oh. right between my birthday and your birthday. Yes, my fortieth. I know. It's a big one, it's man. A big one. It's a big one. It's a big deal. Wow, you're gonna you're gonna get like the podcasting is so much better right after that. You're gonna be so wise. I know. I know. That's what that's what we we're hoping for. You know. Yeah. Either that or a grumpiness will start setting in. <laughs> oh, yeah, true. That could happen, you know. All right. Good talking to you, man. Yeah, it's been great. Good. Well, anyways, we're on Saturday. You know what that means? That means tomorrow is Sunday. Go to church. Find yourself yes. a confessional church. And if that confessional church is a little bit weird, then go and find another one. And uh, if there is a Reformed Baptist church in town, go there. And if that Reformed Baptist church is weird, then um, I don't know what you need to do. 
to if you're in Wellington, go to Grayson. If you're in Wellington, yeah. go to Grayson. That is beyond question. Nah, uh, it, look, definitely check us out. But um, we're not the only gospel preaching church in Wellington, thankfully, and uh, yes. and uh, we happily hold hands with those who, uh, as we've been saying, don't 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 necessarily hold to every point of our doctrine. But uh, yeah, do find a church and don't just listen to these podcasts and think that you're sojourning. It's not how it works. Go to church. That's the action. Uh, thanks, Cody. Appreciate it, bro. Thank you. Cheers.